Hi, I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Welcome to the Movie Musical Monday podcast. This series of recorded conversations explores all our favorite film musicals, from Broadway adaptations to Hollywood originals. As our rotating host and guest conversationalists open a discussion in which you are invited to participate. Today's movie musical is the 1962 film adaptation of the 1959 Broadway hit Gypsy, starring Natalie Wood, Carl Malden, and Rosalind Russell in one of the biggest film casting upsets when Russell captured the coveted role of Madame Rose from Broadway star Ethel Merman. Today's host is Rosie Schultz, chair of our popular networking group, Porchlight Young Professionals, and her special guest, Chicago actress Sophie Grimm, who has appeared throughout the Chicago area at Chicago Shakespeare Theatre, Paramount Theatre, Drury Lane Oakbrook, and the Broadway Playhouse, and who herself has portrayed Rose in Gypsy. Let's go to the conversation. Great. Well, hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here and to be talking about Gypsy, which is my personal favorite musical. I love it so much. When Porchlight did it, I think I saw it six times. It's just such a good show. And so I'm very excited to talk about the movie. And I'm excited to have Sophie here. So Sophie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal connection with the show? Um, well, I did get to play Rose, but before I got to play Rose, my very first musical was Gypsy as Baby June. And my sister played, she was 17, she was a freshman in college, she played Rose. <laughs> my dad came in, he was a professional performer, um, and he came in and played Pops, and uh, my brother was one of the newsboys. So ever since I was really, really young, I love this musical and we were talking earlier of course also the Bette Midler version which came out right around you know when I was coming out but after so many years um I ended up finally getting to play Rose at the age of 30 I had my 30th birthday and I got to go over to Maine to actually a friend of mine from college ended up hiring me as their SPT contract so it was cool because I was part of what felt like a community theater, you know, and I'd, it'd been so long since I had that vibe where everybody was just so excited and everybody was coming at nighttime and it was fun to go to rehearsal. And then they, of course, put me up in a space. And uh, over that time, it, we, we had the electricity go out at one point in the <laughs> middle of Maine, you know, all that stuff. Um, but we had so much fun and it was really interesting to play here at 30 because, of course, I tried to put my timeline together since I'd only seen women of a certain age, 45, maybe higher, be able uh -huh. to play her with such vigor. So I did my timeline of, okay, well, if I was 16 when the first time I got married, which in 1916, that makes, you know, of course I did all my math <laughs> to make sense for me. And I ended up just having an absolute ball, especially talking with people afterwards, just like all of you who know the show and get to experience it live and get to talk to the artists afterwards. So it was really fun. That's so fun. And yeah, like maybe one of the most iconic roles in theater to get to play. I mean, Rose's turn is just the best song ever, in my personal opinion. 
I hadn't seen the movie in a long time when I rewatched it this time, but I had a very visceral reaction to Gotta Get a Gimmick and remembered watching that when I was like super, super young <laughs> and being like, this is fun, but having no idea that like what the stripper even was probably. And yeah, I was telling them my mom has played Mazeppa twice which I think is very fun because that's just like such a silly role. Oh, I got to say one thing more just because yes. maybe you think of it. Chris has a belt fest and this year it's going to be, would you say what the title is this year for belt fest? Oh yeah. We renamed it belting for life belting to help people life. understand it was not a fashion show. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. But you know, of course, Chris has that every year and um, we raise money for Howard Brown health. And it's one year we got to do gotta get a gimmick and I got to fulfill my Mazeppa uh, fantasy. I played that for years in high school and middle school. So I'm, I'm hoping as the years go higher, I'll be able to be Mazeppa and Rose's understudy until I'm, you know, officially ready. Yes. Yes, an amazing goal. Okay, so now we just talked about our love for the musical in general. Let's get into the movie. Um, so to start out, I just want to talk about some moments that really stood out to you that you love specifically about the movie version of Gypsy. Yeah. Two, two big ones. One was her just kind of monologuing. You were saying narrating, you know, the next yeah. bit of of play that would happen because I do feel like so much, so many of the times in musical, in the musical that people kind of start to paint her as a little bit of a caricature, almost a monster. And uh -huh. it felt so nice to have her from her perspective be like, and I was just so excited, you know, that, that really, really made me happy. And then my other one was, um, I just loved uncle Jocko. I loved the way he was and that, that or not uncle Jocko, but that Herbie was Uncle Jocko. Like, just yeah. that twist for me, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. I feel like I would, it would make so much more sense as me, as Rose, that I would be attracted to this guy who's kind of kooky and knows how to get a room if he needs to versus what I had grown up with, of course, with right. Rose or Bette Midler, of him kind of being kind of shy and laid back. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I also like the switch in the movie that um, Herbie is Uncle Jocko. I, I, yeah, I do think it like rounds him out more. And I was reading, you know, they probably just did that to get him into the story earlier. Um, but I think that was a very successful change. Um, and I agree. I, I like the character of Herbie in general just because he is sort of like a grounding force throughout the musical. And I think he, he portrays that well in the movie. Like he keeps the calm and, and makes things try to make sense for their crazy life. <laughs> um, I really like the narration too. And this kind of leads me into my first topic of conversation that I want to talk to everyone about because I know it's on the top of all of our minds when we think about this, which is the casting of Rosalind Russell and the snubbing of Ethel Merman. But I personally really enjoyed Rosalind Russell's performance. Obviously, the singing was not a high note. Haha, <laughs> but and she got dubbed over. But I think that the acting moments were very real and and she brought a lot to the character of Rose even if she couldn't necessarily sing it on her own 
So Pete, what do you think? And then I would like to hear what the, the rest of you think about this casting. I agree. Choice. I agree with you. And I'm ready to hear other people's opinions too. Sounds awesome. All right. Oh, James. Yeah, um, for me, my introduction was through a lot of different ways before I actually watched the movie. Like, I remember um, Mrs. Brady and Marsha singing it for, like, some sort of talent show in the Brady Bunch. And then, like, my mom, who was always there, said, oh, this is from that musical Gypsy. And then it would be something that I never thought. But when I was a teenager, it was on television and we watched it. So my, we watched it and I thought it was fantastic and fell in love and then learned every single one of the songs. And that's when my mother would say like, well, you know, Ethel Merman, who I only knew from like a cameo in the airplane movie, that was a joke of Ethel Merman. So for me, Rosalind Russell was like Gypsy because I've never really, I've seen Ethel Merman now via YouTube and all these things sing it. But I like that, you know, Rosalind Russell sort of like in my key, if I have to sing along, I could hit all those notes more than probably Ethel or someone else. Um, but that was my introduction. And I just, I've always thought of Rosalind Russell first as um, mama before anyone else, just because that's mm-hmm. how I was introduced to her. Tamara, I think I saw your hands up too. Um, yeah, the only thing I wanted to make a comment on is that it's interesting that there was three people they had in mind for that role, Judy Garland, Judy Holliday, and Ethel Merman. And it's just interesting to me that they went with Rosalind Russell. I'm assuming she she was a much better movie star at that point i don't like michael might know the answer to that i i was just i was curious when i saw the three individuals that they were interested in for that role yeah i think that um rosalind russell ended up with the role because of her husband was a producer and so she kind of like hooked her in when they got the rights for the show um bernard and judy I'm Sophie knows I'm totally obsessed. This will be the role I play before I die. And I got to do it in concert once, but that was, I have a, uh, again, I'm pretty obsessed with it. I have a, uh, the making of, of gypsy. And that was the big controversy that her husband produced the film. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm a Rosalind Russell fan. I understand. I, I'm not a big fan of dubbing, but, and I had the good fortune to see Tyne Daly on Broadway and of course, Patty Lapone here at Ravinia. But acting wise, I was okay with Rosalind Russell, but that must have been a slap in Ethel's face. But I'm trying to think of the year. Was Ethel already? Not that there's an age limit on Mama Rose. We know 70 year olds that have played it, but uh, was what year was it? Do we we know the year? The movie came out in 1962, so it was only a couple years after um, yeah. Ethel was yeah. on well, stage. Ethel was still very eligible. Yeah. But it was that her husband, in fact, I just did a little research before we came on tonight and, and reread that part. And I just wanted to hop on to what James said. I think it's always amazing when, you know, someone makes a movie when someone else had the role, is identified with the role on stage. Because over time, it's going to be the movie everybody remembers because that's, you know, unless you go down to an archive or something, that's who you get to yeah. see. And that's who defines our our. I thought about a role, it's, yeah. and that must yeah. be, my wife said, very hard on someone yeah. if they don't get to, to realize their role on film. Yeah, I read um, a fun fact that after Ethel Merman passed away, they found a tape of Rosalind Russell's original recording in in Ethel Merman's closet, so it, like she did maybe 
have a bone to pick still with that choice. Doug? Uh, you know, I, I like Russell. Russell is an actress in a lot of movies, but I, I am going to be the uh, respectfully disagree. I think she was not successful uh, as Rose in this. I don't think she got the drive of the character. I, I mean, she's a, a gutsy kind of actress, but when I think of leading into uh, everything's coming up Rose's or Rose's turn, she just let the energy die and started to pick it up. I also will dis uh, respectfully disagree about the narration. I think that's a mistake. I think that we need to see, by the end, we need to see a woman just about exploding and losing it I don't want to know at the beginning of the movie, everything's okay, don't worry. Uh -huh. so those are my thoughts. I, I agree. I like wrote in my notes that Rose's turn was like a really big letdown for me. Like I think throughout the rest of the show, I, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling this. And then, you know, you want Rose's turn to just be that moment. And I agree. I think she lost a little bit of steam there. But I really liked the production like around her during that scene because it said Rose everywhere and my name's Rose so <laughs> um Paz? Well um it's it's interesting because uh, I think it wasn't nowadays we think of Rose uh uh Sophie said it you know as like almost a monster and it and it feels like that may not have been a hundred percent the original intention. It feels like once Arthur Lawrence directed Angela Lansbury, the the interpretation of the character shifted to be a little more um, larger than life in a way that maybe wasn't there, obviously, in this movie or even uh, with Ethel Merman in, in the original production, which was directed by Jerome Robbins. So it's really interesting to see how that character has kind of morphed throughout the years between different productions. And I think, right, it's just the hallmark of something that's very well written that can stand up to different interpretation. Well, right. And I remember when Tyne Daly did it, that they, one of the reviewers said it's, it's the King Lear of women's theater roles. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, if anybody, for contrast, if you want to see, I think it's still on Broadway HD, the recent London revival with Imelda Staunton. Oh, um, definitely probably the most monster-ish yeah. interpretation of the role, just for comparison's sake. Yeah, I watched, I watched a little bit of that one. Um, Hugh, I thought you had a hand up. Looking at this from Herbie's standpoint, if you have a rose that is too much of a monster, there are so many cases where he could just walk. And I really sometimes watch the show and say, Herbie, why are you still there? And I think Roz Russell was a little bit softer yes. than a number of the others would have been. Yeah, I I get that for sure. And I and I I love what you just said, Paz, about that it does show delicious that it's such a good piece. You know, it's just like that it can go all around here. And then, like you said, Doug, of just like then it is a perfect epitome role of the female actress because you can go so many places with it. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant show, gotta say. Okay, I want to talk about other cast performances that people thought stood out. Um, any, like, supporting characters that you loved? I specifically was thinking about, um, you know, the role of Louise, um, played by Natalie Wood. And apparently, 
and Margaret was in the running for that part, which is interesting since we did Bye Bye Birdie last week. Um, but yeah, any thoughts about other casting choices or other standout performances? And Jillian was uh, was Baby June. I always yeah. thought that was interesting. It's yeah. trivia. <laughs> Ken? Yeah, I, I'm like Carl Malden. Uh, I thought for somebody who's not musical and it's like he was in like every movie during this time period it's like well we'll bring in carl malden for this but he really gave you a sense of time and place and the emotion and and i really liked him uh in the role yeah i really i enjoyed his performance a lot as well sophie were you about to say something i just another thing that i'm thinking about that's maybe different but bringing the other kids into play. I love how talented the kids always are. You know, yeah. like when they go oh, yeah. when they go to wherever they go and they're just, and, and I, I would love to hear about if anybody has any thought on this too, that some people think that they should be bad or something, that she's pushing them to be better. And I'm like, no, I think it's amazing. Yes, Doug. Like yeah. how the kids are just so freaking good that you can't take their eyes off them. I just have a good time with that. Yeah, I love the kids. And that reminds me of another one of like my favorite moments in, in the movie, but they often do this on stage too, which is like the switch between the kids and the adults on stage. I just like that's such a fun little piece of like theater magic. And I'm glad that they kept it in the movie. Oh, Robin. Yeah, going back to um, whoever was talking about Carl Malden, Ken maybe, I kind of knew Gypsy originally from the the original cast album. So I guess it was Jack Klugman on there, I think. And so it's interesting. He's not very musical either, I'm going to say. So it's interesting that the character of Herbie, he's not a performer. Like whoever's going to play him, you almost you don't want him to. I agree well or whatever, because he's the business guy. He's behind the scenes. So I'm guessing that that casting is typically like on purpose. Yeah, that's a very good point. And they cut one of the songs that, well, Michael's talking about a show or a song that was in, was that cut from the movie or cut from like the original no, it was, it was there was originally a song uh that herbie uh had in the original called nice she ain't um mm. and jack klugman tried and tried and tried to learn the role and he it tells a story of that he had the actor's nightmare uh, he was he he woke up just screaming you know like that he couldn't sing this song and walked in the next day to rehearsal and told julie stein he's he literally the way he said it was take the song and stick it up your he goes i'm not singing it and they ended up pulling the song from the from the show um he also had a duet with the little girls that happened during uh the scene with mr weber um, that when that the girls, the, the little girls were singing and then he sung in counterpoint to them. But the, they so it's that moment when she tells the little kids, go out and go out in the in the alley and I'll be right with you. And the little girls went out into the alley and then they came back in and they were hiding like on top of some furniture, watching Mama seduce Mr. Weber. And there was a song that had happened there that uh, they ended up cutting as well that Herbie would have participated in. 
But uh, so he had a couple of songs. Okay. They're just cutting it all. Well, and then so from the musical to the movie, they cut the song together wherever we go, and then also the reprise of "You'll Never Get Away from Me." And do you like? Do you think that was because Carl Malden wasn't a big singer, or just no, for time? He he filmed it, and if you have the DVD, you can see the footage of Carl Malden mm-hmm. doing both "You'll Never Get Away from Me." He's in that, and he's also, uh, they, they have the footage of the number uh, um, Together Wherever We Go, which was uh, part of the original Roadshow release of the film, and then they cut it after that when they just played oh, it yeah. in regular theaters. But you can see both of those uh, songs. Are, you can see them on YouTube. Just look it up. Nice. Yeah, Together Wherever We Go is actually one of my favorite songs in the actual musical. I really, I really like that moment where they like come together and like, we're going to do it. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about one of my notes was Rose's narrating. We talked about that a little bit already. So one of my other favorite parts of the movie is the costumes. I love the costumes. They're by Ori Kelly, who, like, designed, co- like, all the costumes during that time for Warner Brothers. But I really appreciated, like, I feel like Rose was always wearing the best outfit and that like really made her stand out there was one moment where she's wearing a full cheetah print ensemble and then another where she's wearing this was wearing this like really pretty red dress and then also once they get into the stripping montage when they do the new year's number and she's wearing the silver dress that's just dripping in glitter i loved that too chris I agree. They look gorgeous. And I think uh, Michelle pointed out in the chat, they were nominated uh, for an Oscar. But when I watched it, I almost thought they looked too good, as in, if they're so hard up for money, like, can't Rose sell a couple dresses? They look just so expensive in comparison to what was around them that it took me out of it a little bit, just to be like, how does she? How could she afford that? They're eating. Was, they're eating leftover chow mein and cat food. I was thinking about that too, and it was like I was kind of thinking about it in the way that like she maybe is just like swindling the money for her own dresses because she's not paying the kids or anything. But um, Steve did well. Supposedly, Louise made all of Rose's clothes, right? True. So that's why they they were so special. <laughs> Good point. And of course, there's always the 10 foot rule in theater. So, <laughs> maybe it doesn't work in, in the movies as much, but you know, if it looks good, way, we're fine. Yeah. So, I already asked um, Sophie this question at the beginning, but I want to turn it to you guys. What are some moments, some of your favorite, like little moments that stood out to you? I know Chris was talking about one of his favorite lines that's added into the movie. One of my like little things that I picked on picked up on that I loved was during the train number. Um, Rose is like on stage fully doing the entire choreography next to Dune and it was it's like perfect. It's so funny. Um, so I loved that. Anything that you guys want to talk about that you particularly loved in the movie? Chris and then Ken, Chris first. Well, I'm happy to share with everybody my line reading yes. uh, since I didn't get to hear it before. But I, I think for many of us who are familiar with the play, the, the screenplay follows it very closely. So any differences kind of jump out at you. And there's this little exchange in the dressing room 
right after that is not in the play right after Louise agrees to, you know, feed the, the lines to the comic and Rose tries to be very important. And so she has to go talk to Herbie because we never do anything without consulting our artists representatives. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, uh, Tessie answers back, I'd like to speak to your artist representative. And I just, I don't know. That's that's my favorite kind of exchange. And uh, if you ever see me do this show, don't be surprised if it finds its way in there. <laughs> um, Ken? Yeah, uh, I have not noticed this before, but I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it's my favorite part, but I thought it was really interesting. When they're at the train, and Rose is singing Everything's Coming Up uh, Roses, uh, especially based on the original cast album. It, you know, it's like this big number and exciting and stuff like that. But the way it's filmed in the movie, uh, Herbie and Louise are in the background and they seem to be aghast as if she's just lost it completely. And uh, it's it, especially Rosalind Russell, her singing is not like Ethel Merman's. And so it's just like, she's just crazy. And then they cut together. So it makes it a kind of a, a sad scene, which I'd never really thought of before because of the song in Ethel Merman and all the ways it's been sung is this uplifting song. So I thought that was interesting. You know, I did have that feeling too of um, at the end. I mean, I, I liked it because I, I feel like it is that, you know, strange space of like, how can you possibly do this? And then it kind of echoes it later in the show when she's like, you're going to be a stripper. You're going to be great, you know? And then coming back in at the top of the second act with usually together wherever we go is, which uh -huh. just brings back that life and everything. In in this, they showed her at the end, which I, I appreciated. I did like that it was, you know, more eerie and whatever. Um, but I always love the top act too, when you go to the tour adorables and there she's she's just as in time as everybody else. Uh, extra, 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 come on. Let's go, people. <laughs> And I felt like they brought a lot of that energy at the top. So when they skipped together wherever we are, I was like, well, I guess it's two hours and 33 minutes. That makes sense, you know, and I was okay. <laughs> but I understand that for sure, Ken. Yeah, any other moments that really stood out to people? I mean, Gotta Get a Gimmick is always just a light in the whole show. It's It's hard not to love that number, and I love washed up the strippers are especially in the movie <laughs> I love it um, Mindy yeah that's what I was going to talk about and, and I love everything about that number because it's just so hysterical and uh, you know and their costumes and the horn and everything else and, and God love the woman who could do that back then but what I also like about it is that you get Louise finally has someone who's kind of on her side so up to this point, you've got Mama going, do this, do this, do this, do this. And these women are, are more friends. And I, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to give you tips. We're going to uh, give you ideas that are going to help you in your career and not keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you into something you may not want to do. Yeah, I always enjoyed that relationship between Louise and, and Tessie. Like, I think that 
is a very important and often overlooked part of the show. Um, Amanda? One of my favorite parts of the show, or just like to see how it's done each time, um, is just the moment when she um, first starts seeing, like she has that blue dress on, and, you know, you can see her transition from, like, just figuring out and, like, is kind of shell-shocked at what's about to happen, um, and then watching the progression of her getting more and more comfortable um, doing that and then becoming really good at it. I just, I don't know. I always like to see, I feel like I'm watching, um, like, a butterfly in a cocoon or something, you know? And yeah, so yeah. I always think that that's a really powerful um moment of storytelling that happens you know fairly quickly um and it makes me it it's interesting to see how the character like you know the beginning is is fine with being in the background but like you know secretly like really wants to be the center of attention maybe or maybe you know she just wants the affection um so yeah, it's I, I like to analyze that moment and be like, you know, is it about getting the attention? Is it about getting the affirmation that she's worth something? Is it about getting to be able to perform? You know, does she feel like she's performing? Like, what is it that is bringing her joy as she does this? And watching the actor make the choice about like why she and maybe it's multiple reasons. Um, but yeah, so that's always a really powerful moment in my opinion. And yeah. it's crazy that it's only 30 minutes of the whole show when you think about it. I know. Bitch. Yeah, it's so short and compared to the rest of it. Marty? I really liked Paul Wallace as Tulsa. And I thought he did a really nice bit. And it's always been so sad to me that he just disappeared. I mean, they just, I don't think he did anything after that of note. And uh, I often wondered why that happened, you know, why he just, he was a very good Tulsa. Yeah, and he originated the part on Broadway, I believe, too. That's also one of the changes that they make, is that June ends up with some, like, random chorus boy and not Tulsa, which I think is an interesting choice. It kind of, like, makes, I don't know, you kind of, like, the connection in, um, Tulsa's song but that he like makes with Louise and then she gets slighted and then you that kind of just is like erased from the movie which I don't know if it makes that big of a difference but I definitely noticed it and I thought it was weird yeah but why really <laughs> yeah why well, well why was that a necessary change to make is there oh yeah Michelle okay well Chris hasn't given a fun fact yet have you no, no fun fact yet. But I have a fantastic fact. Um, Julie Stein, his family did not have a piano in their apartment, but my great-grandparents did. And he used to come over to their house and play the piano because he was a friend of my great-uncle's. So that's my fantastic. It's even more than a fun fact, I think. So That's amazing. And unfortunately, I have no proof. I have no, you know, like <laughs> anything like that. But it's the story I heard when I was growing up and I learned about Julie Stein that way. So I didn't know when I was going to put that in. I was waiting for Chris to give a fun fact and then I was going to do my fun fact. Like, my fact is even funner. <laughs> well, I, I, it's not, you know, like, can you beat this or anything? But I didn't want the whole night to go by without coming up with that. So. Yeah. 
We needed well, to know that. It's your personal connection with this. Yeah. Show too. I know. Right. There yeah. is one other thing you were saying about that you might want to open up to others, which is how universal that. Yeah. You know, is it overbearing mom, overbearing parent, and that whole vibe? And it's like that's a personal connection for any person, whether they knew Julie Stein or not. You know. Yeah. Totally. We will get to that. But Chris, did you have your hand up? Are you going to share some wisdom with us? Well, uh, since since Michelle requested, um, fun fact is it's actually you can't see his face, but it is Julie Stein conducting the overture in the movie, which of course, uh, if, if we haven't mentioned that, but criminal that they reduced one of the best overtures in Broadway history to a scant two minutes um but you but the the it is him the composer conducting it and um probably my favorite fun fact is that in the uh in the dressing room um uh tessie's dressing room at at the burlesque house uh if anyone noticed on the wall there's a caricature of ethel merman (laughs) i don't know if that was someone's attempt at like repairing sorry that you weren't cast in this movie but we'll put a cartoon of you in the background uh, wouldn't have made me feel better, but uh, there's a couple shots you can see it plain as day. Yeah. Um, I also love the overture, and I'm glad we at least got some of it in the movie because sometimes they just skip entirely over it. Hugh? I like the inclusion of Jack Benny and the art vaudeville still before they went on. Yeah. That was fun. That was very yeah. fun, of course. Yeah. Who's that guy? <laughs> James? Um, I have more of a question for everyone, because we've been talking a lot about how Ethel Merman was really upset and mad and this and that. And I'm sure I could Google this, but I'd love to hear people, if anyone does know. Did Rosalind Russell ever address the fact that she got the role over Ethel Merman? Like, did she have anything? Did she ever speak about it? Does anyone know? Because I'm keenly interested. Like, is it something that she said? Well, and then, of course... Maybe she didn't because they dubbed a lot of what she sang. But I was just curious if anyone knew that answer. Well, I know that she did originally try to sing it on her own. Like, that was the ultimate goal. And then once they did all the recordings and she listened to it, she was like, ooh. And so then they dubbed over her. But I don't know about any, like, specific, like, contact or even commenting on the fact of Ethel Merman. I don't know, Michael or Chris, if you have any info on that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I think that uh, Roz Russell was smart enough to stay out of Ethel Merman's way for the rest of her career, but um, Ethel was under the impression that she was going to play uh, play the film version of it, and, and up until the very last minute, um, Jack Warner at Warner Brothers had insinuated that she would because it was felt that she did such a good job in bringing Call Me Madam to the screen um, that why wouldn't we have her? And she's obviously the one, you know, who made it the hit that it was. Um, When she found out after the fact that Roz Russell's husband had gone in there and talked to Jack Warner and talked him out of it by virtue of the fact that he was saying Roz Russell is a genuine movie star, whereas Ethel Merman is not a movie star. You're, you're in a lot of risk if you don't go in this direction. Ethel then uh, coined a nickname for Roz's husband and called him the Lizard of Roz. <laughs> and that's what he was known as forever after that. But um, no, she, they didn't really have anything to do with each other after this. 
And Tamara said that it looks like uh, Ethel Merman ended up keeping the original yeah. recordings of, of Rosalind Chesley. Yeah, so she held on to that grudge for a while. I did read that Roz in her autobiography, which Doug noted in the comments that she was like, no, that's not why I got the role. It had nothing to do with my husband, which is like, okay, sure. (laughs) She also, until uh, until her death, claimed that she did all of the singing in the in the movie um, and the publicity departments would go along with that as well. Um, it was not a it was not a common thing to give any sort of credit for for anybody who would do the dubbing, which I mean, obviously is, is even indicated and dramatized in Singing in the Rain that you certainly would not say that you right. were dubbed. Um, Lisa Kirk who was uh, quite a well-known uh, Broadway actor and appeared in, uh, really made her first splash in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Allegro singing The Gentleman is a Dope is the one who eventually sang sections of the song. Roz does definitely sing yeah. some of her music in the film, but she kind of hits a lot of the high notes. Roz pretty much starts the songs off, then Lisa Kirk takes over. And uh, Lisa Kirk... Uh, had, you know, kind of a, a solid career. She ended up playing, in, I think she was in the London Follies, and then her most famous role was in Mac and Mabel uh, towards the end of her career. But uh, she was pretty well known and uh, mm-hmm. and dubbed a, a number of people. Yeah. Doug? Well, and Rosalind Russell had done wonderful town on Broadway, so mm-hmm. she, she could certainly carry a yeah. tune. This is, I'm sure, a more difficult score than that, uh, or at least maybe the range, I don't know. Uh, if you want to hear what she sounds like, again, it's on YouTube. There are people who've reconstructed the numbers and put Roz's original tracks back mm. in. And, uh, you know, it, she sings it. She gets through the songs, but you just are like, you know, you wouldn't want to be listening to it all night long. Something <laughs> definitely needed to be done. Um, and you could also hear how Carl Malden sung, too. Mm. Uh, Mindy? And speaking of singing, I understand Natalie Wood did sing because I know that there was controversy. She kind of wanted to sing in West Side Story. But once, if this was her voice, which I believe it was, I can see that she didn't have the range for West Side Story, although she sounded great in this. But there's, there's no way she could have sang as Maria. Yeah, I heard conflicting things about that, but I'm pretty sure she sang most of it. And if there was any dubbing on in the show, it was very, very little. And then it was from the same woman who dubbed her in West Side Story. Um, thoughts on the lasting, the longevity of, of Gypsy and why that both the show and the movie are still so popular. Why is this lasting, iconic show that we all know? And, um, I think there's like, well, I'll open up to you guys because I've been talking a lot already, but I have some ideas about it. And Sophie kind of talked about, um, <laughs> the like parent-child relations in it that are sort of a universal theme that we all have some type of experience with, but Amanda? Not to get on my feminist soapbox, but <laughs> I think that it's very um, timeless, this this idea that for a woman, trying to make it in the performance world is very difficult. Um, you know, you can come off as too strong, but like be aggressive or just super in your face. Um, and then once you get past a certain age, you're, you're done, you're no longer attractive or you can't get roles. And so I feel like Rose has experienced the worst part of the showbiz. 
um, I'm always like curious, like, you know, what's, what's her like history or like, you know, why is she the way she is? And, um, I think that that's for, for me, at least that's like the central question to the entire musical, uh-huh. because if you know the answer to that question, then you can understand and put why she acts the way she does into context. So she's pushing and she's trying to do something wholesome, but it's also very, you know, behind the scenes, you're just like, oh, wow, that's terrible, which is often how it goes. Um, and then lo and behold, the girl who finally makes it is a stripper, which, <laughs> well, it will burlesque dancer and, you know, um, no shade towards anyone who does that. But I think it, it does um, kind of just point to like, that's, that's something that sells. Um, if you're a woman, like you, you, you yeah. a lot. I don't want to say it's easier to get famous through that way, but it's maybe it's a little bit easier. Uh, but, but you know, the age, the age thing's still there and the beauty standards are still there. So like all of those pressures are still there. Um, and I know that this is based on like a, a real person and a real story. So I think uh-huh. that in itself is powerful because it's like, you know, all of these messages are like, oh yeah, this isn't fiction. It's real life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I never really thought about it from that angle, but it is true that like there's a lot of like female power in the story and like and how they use it is interesting. Sophie, do you want to elaborate more on on your thoughts on this question? Yeah, I do, because actually some of my friends are here. So some people know that I'm from a family of performers. But it's interesting what you just said, Amanda, because I'm like, wow, that kind of collides with that I'm from a performing family. So of course there's different dynamics of artists, which I think that also comes to of like, oh well what's what's the right way to get your message across? And I think it actually melds into what I think is so universal about the show, which is parents give birth to a child and then they have to see that this child is not them. And then they have to encourage that child on an entirely different adventure than maybe they ever wanted or ever thought about. So I think it's very interesting what you just said, Amanda, that I'm like, wow, two crazy universal themes that are totally different, but both stand up simultaneously in the show occur. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. This is an art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mindy? I also wanted to add that, you know, they were working in vaudeville and then the uh, depression hit. So they were also dealing with a dead industry and a, an economy where there were no jobs. So it was also what I what I really like is, is just uh, the sort of adaptability that was needed to just make any kind of money back then. Uh, and they also had, you know... Uh, Films were getting more and more popular, and so there were less people maybe going to the to the vaudeville, and so there was a lot of other factors going on in addition to what everyone else has touched on that I think is important. Yeah, James. For me, I think one of the things that makes this um, almost an evergreen sort of musical is just the songs. Like when Porchlight was doing it, and we were into the, even the first read for something, it's like when you go to see one of your favorite bands and you know every single song and it was difficult, like even in dress rehearsals, not to like sing along because, and they're not only just like catchy tunes, they're really good songs. And whether they're silly, like have an egg roll or something like deep, like when mom was married, even though it's funny, it's sort of like really sad. Um, But I think the songs and it's when 
when even like with the overture, once the overture starts, every single note, you're like, I know this song, I know this song, I know this song. So I think that's one of the big appeals of people wanting to see it and wanting to do it in addition to all the messages that you're sending. And it's an interesting thing because um, to have like vaudeville, which was on its way out and then movies coming in, but then to make this a musical, which was on the stage. And there's so many different like things crisscrossing that make it very, very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ken and then Doug. I, I agree with uh, James. Uh, my sister had the original cast album. And so for many, many years, it was only the songs that I knew. And boy, that overture, when it starts at those horns, and you get a tingle down your spine. So um, I think that that's a, a lot of it. I, w- I was also, I was interested in what you had to say, Amanda, because I think that's there, but I don't know that the movie is on Rose's side. I, you get the feeling that they would prefer that she marry Herbie and that everybody is leaving her because she's not doing the conventional thing. And and it's I don't know that they intended it to be a feminist plot, but but it's sort of brave in that way. I, I had heard that uh, Arthur Lawrence it was very difficult for him to adapt this autobiography of Gypsy Rose Lee until he came up with the idea of basing it on the mother instead of on the person who wrote the, wrote the book. So it, it, I think it has that kind of tension in it, which also yeah. makes it uh, an evergreen. Yeah, definitely. Doug? Yeah. Uh, and Rosie, to, an- to answer your question about the evergreen, I think another reason is it's the ultimate showbiz story. You know, we've got this woman at the center who will, is going to succeed no matter that Bogville is dying, that the depression is on it, anything. She is going to succeed. And even the opening number notes of the overture are to I have a dream, you know, and we just watch her fight her way through. Yeah, it's just... It's just a great story and a great score and a great vehicle for so many performers to get to play these, like, amazing parts. I just, oh, I love the show so much. Um, Henry? I, th- I think you're trying to be too nice to Rose. The thing, the thing that, you know, sticks with me is that she had the, the class to go steal the golden plaque right off the wall as she stole her father's life in order to make her own way in life. And at that point, I, I, I think the movie was trying to tell you something about her right right from the very beginning. So I didn't find much redeeming about what you know, about her attempt to, you know, to get ahead. She wasn't above uh, stealing even her own father's life. So there's another thought. That's interesting, and it is, that's an interesting connection to, like, the end of the show when she's talking to Louise about, like, well, then what did I do this all for if it wasn't for you? And it's like, it was for you. Like, you did it for yourself, and she did it for herself from the beginning when from when she stole her, her dad's plaque. So, yeah, it kind of comes full circle there. And I think this leads into our favorite, well, my favorite question for Movie Musical Monday, which is, if they were to make a new version 
of this show, which I think I think we're ready for a new movie version of this show. I think it's been a while, and I would love to see a new a new version of it because I think there's a lot of themes that like still are very relevant today. So, who would we want to play these parts, Mindy? Well, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal Hall is Herbie, but I'd I like everyone who was in the Porchlight production, Faye Butler, etc. Because I agree, she was the first. She was that was the first time I saw Gypsy. What was that? Two years ago, time of no meeting, and I was so blown away by her performance. And then I watched the movie. Yeah, and this, you know, I remember everything coming up roses, just giving me goosebumps, and then Rosalind sings, and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, definitely, Ife. Yes, I would love to see Ife in the Gypsy movie. Amanda said Viola Davis, who I also was thinking about, but I don't know if she can sing, and then that, like, leads us into this whole, like, predicament that we're already in with this current version of the movie. And then, yeah, Chris always says Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know what role he's going to play in this. Is he Tulsa, or is he Herbie? Or is he someone else? Herbie? Yeah, he's not Herbie yet. He's he's on his way there. I think his Tulsa days are behind him. By the time we get this produced, she'll be old enough to be urban. Yeah. My my version, like Jake or um, Chris, always says Jake Gyllenhaal. I always say Zendaya, but I think Zendaya would be an amazing Louise. Personally, Michelle, you had your hand up. Didn't Barbara Streisand? Wasn't she in the running or talking? And everybody said she was too old for the part when she was when they were talking about remaking this some years ago. Which, yeah, that was a rumor a couple years back. You're right, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. She's probably too old now. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody saw Viola Davis in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but uh, she's got the persona to, to do it. I, I don't know if that was her singing, but it was terrific. Yeah, I think I think she's a great choice. Tamara, I see you shaking your head. I'm pretty sure she did not sing that role. In Ma Rainey, I, I'm pretty sure I'm 99% sure it was again the predicament we're in. Excellent <laughs> actress, but not the voice. I'm pretty sure it was dubbed in somebody else. And I'm not sure who it was that sang it. You need to Wikipedia that, Chris. I just did. You're correct. She sang one song, but the rest is is dubbed. Darn it. We have to think of someone else now. <laughs> Sophie, any ideas? You know, ever since I saw uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago, I'm like, ooh, I want to see her ugly. I, I loved her voice in it. I'm like, that. I would like to see her. Maybe her and Zendaya can, uh, they can uh, meet up. That's all. Yeah. And you had some fun ideas for the strippers, too, Sophie. Oh, I did. Well, because I do have the connection of getting to do Ms. Zeppa once. I, um, I would like to play Ms. Zeppa. And then um, we will have uh, Margaret Cho. As Electra, and of course Carol Burnett is going to be Tessie Thrill. So I say, why not? She's a- yeah, heck yeah, um, Chris. Um, the other person I mention frequently um, is Tony Collette, and I think she'd make a fascinating uh, Rose. Love yes, definitely. You and Henry, you guys have thoughts. One interesting fact. Here we go with a fun fact. When she mentions at the very end that she has French lessons coming up, in her reclining days, 
Gypsy Rose Lee was actually a favored guest on a lot of radio programs <laughs> with discussions of intellectual things like information plates. And I also have a question for Michael. We were trying to figure out which came first, score or lyrics. Do you know? Uh, they, they they wrote together, uh, Julie Stein and Sondheim. But Julie Stein would tend to lead a little bit more than Sondheim did in terms of writing these. But they were definitely kind of writing things as they were going along. And then Henry? Just to be very, very serious, I would... <laughs> I would I would suggest our former president's wife as uh, Mazeppa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so quiet. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> um yeah, thank you guys all for joining us and thank you so much Sophie for talking about Gypsy with us and I will turn it back to Mr. Michael Weber. We hope you enjoyed this Movie Musical Monday podcast and that you'll join us live to participate in our next discussion. You'll find information about upcoming events on our website and how you can join in the conversation. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. While you're there, you can also find information how you or someone in your life can join Porchlight Young Professionals. Until next time on Movie Musical Mondays, I'm Michael Weber. 